Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 58 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Now today's episode is a little bit different, a little different format for you. Usually I have a guest on, we go through their recovery journey, their process, and they talk about how great, inspirational, motivational their life is now. Today's episode is a little bit different. It is more on the educational side. I've been really diving into stigma and where it all began. When you think of the terms alcoholic or drug addict, my mind personally goes to a homeless person. You know, when you think of these terms, you just kind of go to the extreme. I don't know, maybe that's just how I was raised. Couldn't tell you. So I did just that. Today, I talked with Travis Lupic, and he is here talking about the downtown east side in Vancouver, which would be, I guess, comparable to uh, Skid Row in LA, you know, kind of the tent cities that most major cities would have the homeless population how they came to be how they even got there how they were started this episode is intense i have to admit i was completely ignorant to the subject straight up i knew nothing i thought i knew a little bit i had these preconceived notions these judgments i really knew absolutely nothing Travis and I discussed decriminalization of drugs, what that would look like, what that would mean for a society, safe injection sites. What are they? What do they look like? Travis gives us an inside scoop to all of this. If you think you know, you have no idea. And what better than an award-winning journalist to walk us through? So I hope this episode gives you a little insight to what that whole, I guess, lifestyle is about and how these people got to where they are today. Didn't happen just by accident. Let's get into it. 
smokes, you guys. It is fall already. It is almost October. Can you believe it? In a blink of an eye, we're going to be in holiday season before you know it. I'm always apprehensive about holidays. Holidays to me equated to family, drinking, holiday parties, drinking. I never knew how to manage my alcohol, especially around family. Not sure how to act, not sure what to say to these people that you should know, but you don't know, but they're your family. If you feel the same way and are dreading holiday season coming up, you are not alone. Join a group of like-minded women to discuss, learn tools, tips, tricks, and get through and change your relationship with alcohol once and for all. Wouldn't this be a great gift for yourself over the holiday season to not have to worry about booze or hangovers or waking up on Christmas morning with a migraine because you drank too much champagne? Ugh, been there, done that. Let's move past it. Let's change. Let's do something different. Group coaching is starting October 3rd and we would love to have you. Check out www.asobergirlsguide for more details and how to sign up. Hello, Travis. Hello, Jessica. I am very excited to talk to you. I I came across you on the World Wide Web, <laughs> and I just really took an interest in you and your book that you have and the work and research you've been doing. Um, and I think it's a really important topic that, you know, maybe none of us really know much about. Um, Maybe we've experienced it, seen, you know, this this particular subject around, but I wanted to bring you on and to shed some light on this. And what better than an award-winning journalist to do that? <laughs> well, I'm really um, I'm really excited to be on your show because um because you know, right away of course what jumped up to me was it's focused on women. And mm. we definitely do not talk about women in drug use, women in substance use, women in addiction, women in harm reduction. We don't talk about yes. those things enough. And and there are very different dynamics at play within all of those topics um, mm -hmm. than what is normally uh, the default paradigm for these conversations, the experiences of men. So I'm, I'm really happy to be on. Awesome. So I wanted to just back it up and and learn a little bit more about you and how you know you got interested in so I, if, let me just preface this. So you um, have shone a light on the downtown east side in Vancouver, which for people in L.A. or kind of across America who are listening, the downtown east side in Vancouver would probably be equivalent to maybe like downtown L.A. and like Tent City. Um, wouldn't you agree, Travis? Like yeah, something like it, that. It's like a it's like a smaller, more concentrated version of the Los Angeles or Skid Row or mm -hmm. the neighborhood of I've the neighborhood I've traveled to that I'd probably call the closest is the Kensington area of Philadelphia. It's got okay. a lot in common. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it it does fit a stereotype. The downtown east side is sort of Vancouver Skid Row. Right, right, right. And don't you find that every major city kind of has this? kind of situation a lot of them um yeah i've been I've traveled the u.s a lot this year and i and i still find that mm -hmm. vancouver's 
downtown east side is um a more concentrated version of of the, mm-hmm. you know the, the rougher neighborhood of a lot of cities in in like literally just like five by five blocks like we have concentrated yeah. like the entire city's mental illness um intravenous drug use addiction poverty um physical disabilities we and because vancouver is the only city across canada that doesn't freeze over for five months of the year um yes. it's not just actually a lot of vancouver or british columbia's um marginalized mm-hmm. people that are living in the downtown east side it's actually a lot of canada's so so we just with makes the downtown east side a little unique is we've crunched it into a very small space okay yeah that makes sense i mean it would be pretty brutal to be in like edmonton in the winter and be on the streets it would okay, I should add, you know, in, in, in addition to that concentration of poverty addiction mental illness um, mm-hmm. There's also emerged this great concentration of activism um, and empowerment and you know, people taking charge of their own lives because these people were so marginalized, they realized no one was ever going to help them, took matters into their own hands. So the, the downtown east side mm-hmm. is also this, this fascinating hotbed of activism. It really is. It's really, it's really interesting. And I, another reason I wanted to bring you on today is because I have no idea. Like I. I really, truly don't know a lot about the downtown east side and how, you know, it's come to be and why, why even people end up homeless and end up in this state. I mean, if anyone has been to the downtown east side, it's, it's heavy. It's a heavy energy. And I wanted to know more I, because I don't know. I'm very ignorant and I'm, you know, very oblivious to how this even happens to us and to our own people. And, you know, I, I really wanted to get more information on a personal level as well. Yeah. So that's that part of my selfish. Yeah. Yeah. And it's part of like, there, for, like uh, selfish reasons. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's a good question. A lot of people have, how, how did this concentration of, of poverty and, and, and health issues come to be? Um, mm-hmm. in the 1800s, early 1900s, the downtown east side, um, was largely a community of seasonal labor, um, for the logging industry. Okay. So, um, the forestry industry, industry was booming across Canada and mm-hmm. loggers would go out into the forest, you know, do their one month on or whatever, and then they get one month off in the city. And where a lot of them would end up living is in all these, what we call single room occupancy hotels or SROs. Um, it's okay. some American cities use as well, I know. Um, and, and these were all right places, but they were, they were not for long-term stays. You know, your room was 10 by 10 feet, uh, shared right. bathroom per, per floor, that sort of thing. Um, but it, you know, it, it was fine accommodation for, you know, your logger in town for a couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. as the logging industry declined, this kind of became the city's de facto low-income housing. Hmm. Now okay. it's been about a hundred years since some of these hotels have received a decent renovation, and mm-hmm. they they are your most stereotypical slum. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in a lot of these hotels, and there's no way to sugarcoat it. They are not nice places. Mm-hmm. So uh, then we had deinstitutionalization, uh, a process mm-hmm. um, that played out across North America, where we essentially emptied the asylums. Uh, that took place from wow. the fifties to the seventies. Um, some jurisdictions, a lot of them in the United States, simply transferred 
um, those populations of severely mentally ill people into prisons gradually. Um, I don't think that's okay. great. Canada didn't no. do that. Vancouver didn't do that. But we didn't do anything else either. <laughs> right. When, Amer- when America emptied the asylums, they ended, up, they ended up throwing a lot of those people in prison. When Canada emptied okay. the asylums, or Vancouver especially, we simply just left people out on the street. And wow. if you didn't have a family, if you didn't have a support network, um, you ended up in the oh. poorest area of the city, the downtown east side. And before too long, a drug dealer found you. So that, that's right. the sort of two-minute version of how the downtown east side came to be. Since then, we've concentrated social services in that network. Um, I mentioned before how the neighborhood's become a hotbed of activism alongside mm-hmm. its addiction and mental health issues. All, all of that sort of swirls, swirls together. Wow. Now, I noticed you mentioned mental health issues. For like, first and foremost, yeah. that, that's what jumped out at me. Would you say that the majority of the people who are inhabiting the downtown east side have mental health issues? I would put the number at 100%. Um, wow. I'm not, okay. And I'm not exaggerating. Um, there's, you know, there's other authoritative voices um, on this topic, like Dr. Gabor Mate, who wrote a book about the downtown east side, who, who mm-hmm. similarly says 100% of people using drugs in the downtown east side are, are, are struggling with mental health issues. Um, this is not a, a crowd of drug users who's partying and are having a good time on a Friday night. Um, right. This is a group of people who have been marginalized. Many struggle with physical disabilities. Uh, many mm-hmm. struggle with mental health disabilities. And they're using drugs to self-medicate. Um, trauma is huge um, in the downtown east side. Childhood trauma is, is the common yeah. experience for people living in the downtown east side. This is a neighborhood where I really don't think drugs are the problem. This is a neighborhood where people are using drugs to, to cope with larger problems. Right. Oh, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. You know, just hearing it's, that. Um, because you want to be like, you want to be like, oh, these people are bad. They're doing drugs to, I don't know, justify it or something. The worst, you, you know the what I mean? It's like, me, you, the saddest part to me is, it, is if you understand that, that drug use mm-hmm. is not the problem, but an attempted solution to the problem. Um, right. You begin to understand that what we're doing um, with prohibition and police persecution of these people is victimizing a victim, or sometimes victimizing right. a victim who was a victim. Uh, for example, um, a woman was sexually abused as a child, so she's a victim of abuse. She self-medicates right. with drugs. She becomes a victim of the black, black market. The, house, the household's... Um, you know, going with having to deal with a dealer on the corner every day. And then the police come after her because she's using drugs. So you've got, you know, a victim right. of abuse who becomes a victim of the black market, who becomes a victim of prohibition and police. We're not. Right. It's, it's a sad situation where we're, we're victimizing people who have been hurt very badly in the past before. Right. It's just a vicious cycle. It's awful. Yeah. So how would you go about changing that? Is it, is there a way to change it? Yes. And you, that, that specific situation, mm-hmm. you could change by dec- decriminalizing drugs. You could okay. stop the police persecution of people who are self-medicating uh, to deal with past trauma. Like, I just don't see how but, you know, putting someone through the system Putting them into jail for, for using drugs helps anybody. 
Right. Um, and especially drug using populations like the one that's in the downtown east side. Um, if, if a woman is using heroin so that she doesn't have to think about that time she was raped when she was eight, I don't understand what we accomplished by putting her in jail for doing that. Right. That, that just doesn't accomplish anything. And then yeah. maybe something happens to her while she's in jail, and now she's got something else, another traumatic experience that she had, that right. she's self-medicating for. Um, decriminalization would be the first step. By locking people up okay. for using drugs, we are simply not helping anyone. Okay. I mean, how... It kind of comes down to intention. Because how can you kind of decriminalize people for using drugs when there's other people using drugs with different intentions? I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023. Say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies. Made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flower, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. Like not, not to self-medicate. And do you know what I mean? But I mean, I I guess it is all self-medication to some degree. I would argue that a lot of it is, you know, whether you're when, when Dr. Gabor Mate, um, his book about the Nantani side is called um, in the realm of hungry ghosts, close encounters with addiction, which I really highly recommend for everybody to read. Um, He talks about trauma when, when he talks about trauma and people self-medicating, he often emphasizes that trauma is a word that means very different things um, for every different person. Um, yes. In the, in the downtown east side, a lot of the trauma that people have dealt with is extreme. It's okay. um, childhood abuse. It's legacies of colonialism. Um, but, that, but somebody doesn't have to experience that sort of extreme trauma mm-hmm. for, for a need to self-medicate. Other people are more sensitive than others. And if you were bullied through high school, um, maybe that's your trauma. Um, right. If your parents got divorced when you were seven years old, maybe that's, you know, the, that inevitable feeling of abandonment that many children who go through divorce feel. Um, Absolutely. That, that sort of um, grasp, grasp for power of a situation. Um, trauma can mean many different things to many different people, and I don't think um, that we should judge. So whatever the near intention mm-hmm. of their drug use, um, I, I've gotten to a point where I don't really care anymore. I, I, I yeah. simply don't. Um, I, I don't see the whatever their intention. I don't see the point in in putting someone through the prison system for an individual's drug use. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just pain. It's. I think that's all know, we're inflicting. Yeah. Yeah, and there is a moral know, side. Reason- that, you know. There is a moral side to this argument. Um, if you believe that people simply should not do drugs like many more conservative people do, that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah, I understand it. It's a moral argument, and I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but what are we accomplishing? We've been locking right. people up for using drugs for more than 100 years now. What have we accomplished? And how much money have we spent? And what have we accomplished? <sighs> yes. Yeah, I mean, nothing. Nothing good I, has come I would of it. argue significantly less than nothing. Um, nothing, actually. A, a neutral outcome would be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd be something okay. better than the intensely negative outcome that we have. <laughs> yes, touche. <laughs> <laughs> yes, less than nothing. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Wow. So how did your your book come to be? Fighting for Space. Tell me about that. Yeah. Fighting for Space, how a group of drug users transformed one city's struggle with addiction, which came out last year. Mm -hmm. And through the stories of a few key people who live in the downtown east side, um, mm -hmm. through their stories, I tried to explain the concepts of harm reduction, needle exchange, supervised injection, and, and why the war on drugs has not worked out so well for people who are marginalized. That Okay. That book came out of, um, largely came out of my work for the Georgia Strait newspaper in Vancouver. That's my sort of regular nine to five. Right. And, and I was a general assignment reporter for the Georgia Strait when fentanyl, this really dangerous synthetic opiate, began showing up in the city's heroin supply and began killing right. people. As, as the overdose death numbers went up and up through 2013, 14, 15, um, mm -hmm. I sort of organically found myself spending more and more time for the Georgia Strait writing about fentanyl. Um, at the same time, I was living in the downtown east side. I was living on East Facebook okay. Street. And mm -hmm. so when fentanyl arrived, um, I saw it. Like, I've never... Really? I've been a reporter for more than 10 years, and I've covered a lot of different statistics, and I've never actually seen statistics play out. But when fentanyl arrived in wow. the downtown east side, I mean, you could actually see the increases in deaths. Like, And I, and I mean that in the most literal sense. Um, wow. So, so this was a story that was taking up more and more of my time for the Georgia Strait. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you, you sort of had this older story, Vancouver's first um, first go with harm reduction, kind of coming to an end. A lot of the key players mm -hmm. that brought needle exchange to Vancouver were beginning to go their separate ways. A lot of the key players that brought North America's first supervised injection facility insight to Vancouver were going their separate ways. So... Okay. As we were struggling with fentanyl, and as cities across America were struggling with fentanyl, um, mm -hmm. I thought it might be worth looking back at Vancouver's history with harm reduction, and hopefully finding something that other, other jurisdictions could learn from our experience. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine seeing the statistics, like, living it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, 
flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com ASGG today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash ASGG. Yeah, it's, I mean, and here's so a sample scary. of the kind of statistics. Here's a sample of the kind of statistics we're talking about. Before fentanyl arrived, a quote-unquote normal number of fatal overdoses, fatal overdoses for a population the size of British Columbia's, um, is about twenty deaths per month. Okay. And in the winter, through the winter of 2016, we consistently saw more than 140, 150 overdose deaths per month. What? Holy cow! And That's, you can see that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know my my brothers, my younger brothers, two of their friends from high school have passed away because of fentanyl. I, and you, I you no don't think that know, it's going to happen to you? No, I, I no longer know anyone in Vancouver who doesn't know someone who died of fentanyl or someone's family yeah. who died of fentanyl. And, and I mean that, you know, among uh, my parents' professional friends, to mm-hmm. um, you know, my friends' friends, to, to everybody I know knows someone in, right. in Vancouver who has died of a fentanyl overdose. Oh, it's just, it's horrible. It's scary. You think it's never going to happen to you, but it's like you can just be one person away. Yeah, I, I mean, there's been some really, um, you know, notable people in, in Vancouver the last few years that have died mm-hmm. of fentanyl overdoses. Um, people high up in the administration of a, a large university in BC, um, a lawyer, oh. a judge. Um, not that these were, lives are worth any more than, than a homeless no. person or anybody, for example. But it goes right. to your point that this truly can't happen to anyone. This is not a downtown east side problem. This is affecting right. really a, a North America right now. I mean, the same thing that's happening in Vancouver is happening in Toledo, Ohio, and Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia, and um, this is a North America problem. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So getting back to the downtown east side and your book, why... Why now? Why did you chose to write about it now? Like, why? What kept you interested and passionate about it? Alongside what was happening um, with fentanyl in Vancouver, mm-hmm. um, you had this amazing group of activists that had, had mm-hmm. been very active and accomplished a lot in the downtown east side over the previous twenty years. Um, Anne Livingston and Bud Osborne, who together founded the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. Uh, Vandu, which is uh, possibly sort of the first drug user union, if you will, established in North America. Oh, okay. You had people like, you had people like Liz Evans and Mark Townsend, uh, who established the Portland Hotel Society, a supportive housing nonprofit um, that also mm-hmm. established North America's first supervised injection facility, Insight. Um, you had this amazing group of people um, who had accomplished so much over the preceding uh, 20 years. Um, they were, they were beginning to go their, their own ways. Um, Mark and Liz had moved on to mm-hmm. New York City. Um, Bud Osborne okay. sadly passed away in 2014. Um, Libby Davies, who had represented the neighborhood um, in the nation's capital as, as, as the area's politician, 
Um, she was retiring yeah. from politics after, after 17 years. Um, so you had the, these people beginning to go their own way and, and nobody had put their story down somewhere. And, and, um, mm. I just said that that's got to happen. And then I was lucky enough, um, to have everyone, everyone's cooperation and then an openness and willingness wow. to speak. And, uh, I mean, that, yeah, that was just such a gift. Um, but the timing was, was, was truly, um, so, even though it's a, it's a history that I recount in fighting for space, the, the timing mm-hmm. had a lot to do with fentanyl. Um, mm-hmm. the idea was, you know, cities like Seattle, San Francisco, they're talking about injection sites. Vancouver has right. been through this discussion before. Let's, let's share that story in the hopes that we can, we can save everyone a little time and, and hopefully save lives. Yes. So when you say injection sites, like safe injection, what does that look like? What does that mean? Right. And what are the benefits to it? There are now several dozen supervised injection facilities operating across Canada, but that only happened since 2016. From the founding of North America's first supervised injection facility, Insight, in 2003, Right mm-hmm. up until 2016, there was only one in North America, 139 East Hastings Street in Vancouver's downtown east side. So we'll talk about that one. Um, okay. And it's, and it's the story of insight that I recount in Fighting for Space, how that was established, the public conversation that happened around it, and, yeah. and what's happened since then, its benefits, etc. So okay. insight stands in a rough neighborhood, like we were talking about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to note that Insight did not bring the rough neighborhood around it. <laughs> That's a common misconception right. when a lot of U.S. politicians visit Insight. They look around at the downtown east side and say, whoa, we don't want this. Um, that neighborhood right, was selected right, right. because that's where the need was. So right. Insight opened at 13090 Hastings in 2003. And the idea was, if someone is going to inject drugs, usually cocaine, heroin, but also increasingly methamphetamine. If someone is going to inject drugs, why don't we give them somewhere to do that that's better than an alley? Instead of an alley, why can't we give them a clean environment? Instead of a dealer Mm -hmm. looking over their shoulder, why can't we give them a registered nurse? Instead of forcing them Mm. to inject with puddle water, why can't we give them a clean needle um, and and clean water to do that? The idea was, this is going to happen no matter what. So let's make it less dangerous. And that's exactly what Insight does. Um, You walk in. There is uh, someone at the front desk, greets you with a smile. You give them your name and what you're going to inject. It doesn't have to be your real name. Everybody uses a nickname. Okay. And then you walk uh, through the sort of um, reception area, I guess, um, into the IR, the injection room. There is 11 booths, I believe, inside the injection room. And these are very pretty simple things. Um, steel table, yeah. a chair, um, a mirror in front of you, and a, a little divider for a little bit of privacy. And, and, um, that's, that's where you do your drugs. Um, there's a nurse's station behind you where you get, um, clean needles, clean water, all that good stuff. Okay. And crucially, that nurse who's watching over the room. So if right. anybody experiences an overdose, any sort of complication, right there, um, there's a nurse with an oxygen tank and uh, naloxone, the overdose reversal drug, Narcan. Yeah. And then that person, uh, if, some, if the worst happens, if you overdose, that person will save your life. And that person will always save your life. Since 2003, no one has ever died of an overdose at Insight, ever. Wow. 
When you change your relationship with alcohol, you realize you have so many hours in the day. I love to dedicate my time to skincare, and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off. After wow, the I'm just trying to visualize it. Like I'm just picturing <laughs> this. Yeah, and then, and then after the injection room, um, you get 10, 15 minutes there. You've done your drugs. You can walk out to the chill. It's called the chill room, which is just a okay. place to hang out for a little bit if you want. Grab a cup of coffee or a cup of juice, and then you can go on with the rest okay. of the day. That's inside. Wow. And how often are is Insight being used? Oh, thousands like, is of it busy? Like, is there, is, there, is there lineups? Like, what is it looking like? There were lineups until 2016, always. There were lineups until 2016 okay. when Insight was the only injection site. The average, uh, the average wait time for a, a booth at Insight, in tw- the last time I checked in 2016, was seven minutes. So okay. th- that really sort of underscores um, the extent to which people who use an injection site are not there for a good time or, or at a party. Um, right. You know, they're, they're there they're to doing survive. Some, yeah. You know, it, it, it'd like be going to have sex and then saying, okay, yeah, but you got to wait and sit here for seven minutes. Right. <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not the way you want to do it. They're there no. because <laughs> they don't want to be in an alley where they might die. Um, they're willing to wait that seven right. minutes because that's where they know they're safe. Um, it's, it's not a fun place. I mean, it's medicalized. It's just, it's not cool. It's not, you know, burrows right. glamorous or anything. Um, right. Injection facilities are medical facilities, and and they feel like right. that. They're right. they're not a lot of fun, but they are safe. Right. I mean, would you equate it to the same as like going to your like doctor or naturopath and getting like shot up with like I don't know like hormones or like your vitamins or whatever, and carrying on with your day? I, I mean. Possibly, but it's not quite so hands-on. I mean, it's it's important to to right. emphasize that Insight does not provide drugs. That's a common question that Americans ask me. Um, oh, Insight okay. does not provide drugs. You you come with your own um, illegal drugs that you procured on the street, and okay. then Insight gives you the clean equipment to use them in as safe as manner as possible. Um, okay. So 
yeah, it's, it's not um, it's not quite so hands-on. You don't have to interact with a nurse. Nobody um, forces that on you, but the nurse is there if you want. Okay. Um, right. Which which is sort of an unintended benefit of insight. Like in, insight's primary uh, objectives are to keep you alive yeah. and keep you free of hepatitis C and HIV. But right. you do have this nurse there, and she huh. has connections to social services. She has connections to rehab facilities, to detox programs. Right. So if you're having a bad day, um, the nurse might come over and rub your shoulder and say, what's up? Uh, she knows you because yeah. you, you've been there a hundred times before. And mm-hmm. and she says, what's up? And, and you say, my boyfriend beat me up last night and I'm really tired of this. And mm-hmm. the nurse says, okay, tell me more. You know, she, they don't push anything at Insight. It's a the yeah. conversation really does go like this. And, and maybe the woman says, I'm just, I'm getting tired of this. I just want out. And the nurse says, yeah. you know, we got, we got a detox program directly upstairs. Um, very few oh, people, wow. everybody knows Insight, but there's this other place called on, Onsite, which is at, directly okay. upstairs. So if there's a bed available, um, yeah. and this woman says she wants one, the nurse can say, okay, let's go upstairs. And now you've got somebody who's, who's engaged in a real effort to, to stop using drugs. Yeah. And that happened at an injection site. And that happens at Insight a lot. Wow. Just like opening up the conversation, just like that. Yeah. Just yeah, having exactly. someone there. The conversation. Yeah. Wow. Um, this will be more controversial. This might be a little more controversial, but nurses can also okay. instruct you on um, injecting best practices. They can't actually okay. inject you at Insight, but they can tell you... Um, best practices, for example, uh, bevel up the way you want to orientate um, a needle uh, for a clean break into your skin. And okay. a lot of women didn't know how to do that when in- Insight first opened. Um, injection drug use is often used as an exercise of control of, of control in, in against mm-hmm. women in marginalized populations. Um, their boyfriend okay. will control their drug supply. Their boyfriend will control when they inject. Their boyfriend will withhold right. drugs and withhold injections when they're unhappy with them. And that's oh. a tough situation if you're addicted to heroin. What they found insight, and this was not planned, but what they found was happening at insight mm-hmm. was for the first time in their lives, young women who were addicted to injection drugs were learning to inject themselves. They were given mm. autonomy over their own bodies. They were freed of that negative power dynamic that, that a man had, had placed over them. Um, Right, it's uh, it's a piece about in, uh, of insight that's not discussed very often. That I think is probably one of the most important things it does. Wow, I mean, this is mind blowing to me. <laughs> I I had no no idea. You know, even when we started this conversation, I really had no clue about any of this, and I honestly had maybe some judgments. And you're just completely opening my eyes. Well, I think it's fair and to have judgments. It, you know, I think that we should acknowledge um, those judgments and, and, and preconceptions. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what's happening in conversations in the United States right now. The, the mm-hmm. debate is, will an injection site save lives? Will an injection site enable drug use? Um, those mm-hmm. are important questions. Um, but I also think we need to be talking about all the other benefits that injection sites have. Um, they keep people free of infectious diseases. They mm-hmm. connect people with detox and rehab facilities, and 
uniquely for women, they they can give, uh, they can return um, a person's autonomy over their own body. Right. Wow. Now, do you find that, I mean, this is kind of a generalized question, but would you say that these people on the downtown east side want to get help? Some do. Um, yeah. For sure some do. Some don't. Um, some are simply okay. not ready. Some cannot yeah. face uh, whatever happened to them in their past. And 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 they need that heroin right now to, to dull that pain they're feeling. Um, yeah. I don't think I don't think that that we should judge. I think yeah. that we should definitely do a better job giving them um, much better options. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't have treatment on demand in Vancouver at this point. We don't have the capacity to give someone a treatment bed the day that they want one. Um, yeah, and that's something that we really need to change. We need, you know, we need to invest um, a new Marshall Plan in BC's treatment system, like most jurisdictions in North America. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I don't, you know, there for sure are a lot of people who want to stop using drugs in the downtown east side. There are also a lot who don't. Um, regardless, mm-hmm. I think we need to do a much better job giving everybody options. Yeah. Options are key. I mean, honestly, when I have walked by, like, down through the downtown east side, I I can't help but want to save people. I know that sounds so just silly, but I can't help but want to help them. Or, and I don't, I I wouldn't even really know where to where to start. I don't know what they would need. So how how can we as a society help these people like what would you suggest we do as a community i'll um i'll, I'll answer that question with a big idea um well first okay. i'll answer it with a small <laughs> idea uh if, you, if you're walking by somebody real popular handouts uh are mcdonald's mm-hmm. gift cards and if it's the winter socks those are really popular items Okay. Um, among homeless people. Uh, McDonald's gift okay. cards are fantastic because they are not just a meal. They are a place to sit for a while with free Wi-Fi. Um, and okay. th- this is 2019. Some people might not know this, but every homeless person has a cell phone. That's <laughs> a cell phone Wait, is standard. They do? Now. They do. Um, they have a smartphone. Wow. You know, maybe maybe okay. not a new one, um, but they probably yeah. don't have a data plan. Um, so okay. free Wi-Fi is, is really important, you know, and, and, and Wi-Fi connects you to job applications, to, you know, mm-hmm. lists to get on into social housing, lists to get into detox. Um, so, you know, you know, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi is really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. and a McDonald's gift card gets you a meal, a place to be warm for a while out of the rain and connections to the internet. Um, the, okay. the bigger... Starbucks gift cards do that too. Whatever. Um, okay. The, the bigger the bigger answer to that question is decriminalization. That's what we can do to help okay. people. Um, like we discussed earlier, you know, mm-hmm. we simply I I, sim- I just don't think we're accomplishing any- anything by yeah. revolving you know people in and out of prison. Um, right. That that. Decriminalization would mark a very tangible improvement for so many homeless people who use drugs. Um, mm-hmm. That constant, constant anxiety 
looking over your shoulder for a cop at all times. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a good reason to do drugs, by the way. <laughs> Intense anxiety. Um, that would be yeah, removed. right? Jesus. Um, it, it would help people in a tangible way. It would remove anxiety. Um, it would mm-hmm. let them use drugs in, in, a, in a safer way where they don't have to be rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think alleviating those stressors would probably help a lot of people use less drugs. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That actually makes sense. I get that it's counterintuitive. Stop punishing people for using drugs, and you might think they're going to use more drugs. I actually think the opposite would happen. I think if you remove the stress of being evicted right. from your home if you're caught with drugs, I think if you remove the stress of going to prison for using drugs, um, I, I actually think that alleviating those stressors would help a lot of people use less. Yeah. Actually, I can, I can actually see what you mean there. For sure. Um, Travis, where can people find your book? And find so you. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I live on Twitter. At, that's my sort okay. of social medium of choice. Um, okay, right at on. T-Lupic, <laughs> at tlupic, T-L-U-P-I-C-K. Um, okay. Facebook.com slash tlupic. And you can find Fighting for Space. Um, if you're in Vancouver, you can find it in independent bookstores, which I always love to direct people to. Um, if you're yeah. anywhere else in Canada or the United States, the easiest place to go is Amazon. Okay. Great. Thank you so much for shining light onto the subject and just your experience and knowledge and really educating me on it because I, I just had no idea. I just, I don't know, you know, walking and seeing these people, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know where they came from. I don't know how it originated. I don't know. You know, from being raised, I, I, I guess I had this belief that, like, if you do drugs and if you're homeless, you've done something bad. And I know that's not the case. It's not, it's not even close to the truth. But I don't know, maybe, like, my parents raised me, you know, to be like, oh, if you do drugs, you're going to be a bad person. You're a criminal. You're going to be on the that's streets. How we're all, that's how we're all raised. Right. But it's just not the case. It's just not the truth. No, and I think and I really by like you shining the light the, on that. I really like that you used the word educated to describe this conversation because, um, I mean, that was the key word in debates through the 1990s around Vancouver's yeah. first supervised injection site. Um, the people who were trying to establish this thing said, um, members of the general public are not bad people. They don't want to hurt drug users. They just don't understand this thing, harm reduction. They just don't understand supervised mm. injection. And so let's educate them. And th- there was this huge education campaign around the establishment of Insight. And uh, 15 years later, it worked, and Vancouver residents are on board. Um, in- in supervised mm-hmm. injection is not a controversial thing in Vancouver. We have a half a dozen of right. these sites running now, and each one opens without controversy. Um, and that's right. thanks to education. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of things can be solved by just education. You know, <laughs> talking about it, everything. figuring it out. <laughs> you know, having conversations like you and I are having. And I just, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your insight and, you know, sharing with us your experience and knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much for having me. Isn't that the truth? Knowledge is king. So many things can be solved just by education, by educating others, different perspectives. I really, really enjoyed this episode and this chat that I had with Travis. It just really opened my eyes. Like I said before, I was completely ignorant to the situation. I had tons of judgment around this. And I think it's important to have these conversations. Something different, out of the norm. Educate yourself. You never know. You don't know what you don't know. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Couldn't do this without you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at A Sober Girl's Guide. Check us out on the blog, Oh Baby the Blog. We actually have a very interesting topic, sober sex. Yes, you guys have been asking about it, and it is here. There is a blog post that is going to blow your mind. Head over to a sobergirlsguide.com to read that little ditty. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and leave us some feedback on the podcast. We love your comments, love your support, love your feedback, and just like hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Bye.